You're listening to the Live Church Livonia podcast, a show where you can hear the teachings from our weekend gatherings. You can catch the full service on our Facebook or YouTube and head over to our website if you'd like to give. Here we're real people following a real God and experiencing real life. Welcome to Life Church Livonia. Welcome to week two of our series, Jesus Is. This series is really about, as all of us begin to look at the deeper questions of life, as we begin to wrestle with things like, why are we here? What, what ultimately matters? What do we do about the evil in the world that's so prevalent? And, and how do we live as human beings? Is there a right way? Is there a wrong way? As we contend with these questions, we are inevitably led to the person of Jesus. These questions about life and meaning lead us to church. They lead us to Google. They lead us to YouTube holes. They lead us to late night conversations. They lead us to arguments with family. And all of these sources claim to have a take on who Jesus is. And with so many voices claiming to speak for Jesus, the question is, what does Jesus have to say for himself? What does Jesus have to say for himself? Who does Jesus say he is? And what does that mean for our lives? So in this series, Jesus is, we're taking a look at these seven statements called the seven I am statements of the book of John. And in each of these statements, as Jesus tells us who he is, it's not just an anecdotal self-proclamation. These I am statements are answers. They are answers to the questions, what do I need and what does our world need? So today we are looking at Jesus's statement, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. Speaking of bread, I grew up on buffets, much like Old Country Buffet, Old Faithful. How many of y'all been to an Old Country Buffet? Throw that in the comments. I think many of them are closed down now. And Marissa's husband, Sam, actually worked at one for a couple years and he was like, never go in there. (laughs) And so actually I haven't been back since. But when I was five years old, I have a distinct memory of going to Old Country Buffet and I filled a plate full of food. I sat down and I pounded that bad boy. And I thought to my little five-year-old self, that was the most amazing food I ever had. I want another plate. So five-year-old Alex puts plate one on the side and goes up for plate two. Comes back, pounds plate two. And I think to myself, this is a little uncomfortable right now. My little five-year-old body can't quite handle a second plate. And so I take a sip of water and you wouldn't believe what happened. That feeling of discomfort and disease went away. And my little five-year-old logic said, the water takes the food away so I can eat more food. So I go up for plate three and I make it through plate three, three, but there are a couple other things I want to try. By the end of the night, I'm five plates deep and I had dessert. (laughs) One plate for each year of my life. (laughs) And so I'm basically rolling out of old country buffet. And as I get in the car and we start driving home, we hit a little bump and my stomach goes, and I think, oh, that was a weird feeling. And then we take a turn. And as well, the (laughs) the centripetal force carries the food in my belly off to the side a little bit. I just feel another, and then this rising feeling just starts kind of coming up deep from within my stomach. I start to breathe a little heavier like this. I'm going, wow, I don't like this feeling. And I start to just very faintly at first go, "Uh, mom, um, and she goes, what's wrong, honey? And I go, 
I just don't feel so good. And I don't really know what's happening yet, but my mom very perceptively grabs my dad's arm while he's driving and goes, Alex, pull over now! And so we swerve into a parking lot. As my mom throws open the door, I just turn my head and just projectile vomited. <laughs> Pink vomit, like 10 feet. If there was an Olympic competition for projectile vomiting, I think I'd be in the top three. But as I, as I just christened this parking lot with pink vomit, I remember thinking to myself, I didn't even have strawberries. Why is it pink? <laughs> That's my little five-year-old logic for you. And I remember after just throwing my guts up outside in this parking lot, driving home, and about 10 minutes after this kind of traumatic incident, just from the back seat, I, I just kind of half whisper, Mom, um, I'm hungry. <laughs> Uh, as I thought back on that buffet challenge, I thought that that food would satisfy me, but in the end, I was left empty, very empty, <laughs> and, and I was left very hungry. We're going to come back to this in a second, because I want to first introduce our scripture for the day, and I want to give us a little roadmap, but today, we're going to be talking about the theme of satisfaction and emptiness. So, we're going to be in John 6 today where Jesus says that I'm the bread of life. And I would encourage you to open your Bible or pop open your phone, your, your Bible app on your phone, and join me in John 6 so you can follow along here. Our roadmap for today is going to be very simple. We're looking at three things in the scripture. We're looking at the bread, we're going to be looking at the mystery, and we're going to be looking at the work. So John chapter 6 opens with the story of the feeding of the 5,000. There was this miracle where 5,000 men, the Bible says, so we can estimate with women and children probably a crowd of 10 to 15,000 people. So they come to join Jesus here uh, as Jesus is teaching. And as Jesus is teaching these folks, they get hungry. And he tells the disciples, you feed them. And I talked about this a couple weeks ago. It's a famous story you, you may be familiar with. But Jesus tells them, you feed them. And the disciples kind of freak out and go, listen. If we had a year's salary, it wouldn't even feed half these people. Like, you're crazy. We can't do this. So Jesus says, hey, bring me what you got. And he, they bring him five loaves of bread and two fish. And Jesus miraculously multiplies all of that food so that every single person in that 10 to 15,000 person crowd not only leaves satisfied, but they leave with leftovers. The people are very excited about this. And they go, we got to make this guy our king. And Jesus isn't having any of it. So he sends the disciples ahead uh, to cross the lake by boat. And he goes up on a mountainside to pray. The people um, are waiting for Jesus. They decide, okay, he went up on the mountainside to pray. I got an idea. We'll wait here. And when he comes back down, then we'll make him king. But in the middle of the night, Jesus gets up while it's dark after a lot of time with his father. And he walks on the water across this lake. The disciples are caught in a storm. And Jesus calms the storm. And when he joins them in the boat, all of a sudden they're at the other side. And then this is where we pick up in John chapter 6. It says, when they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Because the people who had been waiting for Jesus to come down waited. And they waited. And Jesus wasn't coming down the mountain. They thought, that's weird. And then some bolts that had pulled in from the same storm the, the night before pulled in. And the people go, you know, we're going to cross the lake. We'll check if he's, if he's in Capernaum. And they find him and they go, how did you even get here? But Jesus sidesteps their reply. He answers, very truly, I tell you, you're looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. 
Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, What must we do to do the works God requires? And Jesus answered, The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So say that with me. The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So let's talk about bread. We're going to come back to this, the work of God thing, but we're going to talk about bread here real quick first. The crowd spent this considerable amount of energy trying to find Jesus the day after this miracle happened. Why were they looking for Jesus in the first place? Well, Jesus straight up just says, listen, you're not really looking for me. You're looking for more bread. Uh, But you're wasting your time, because even if I gave you more bread, you would need more tomorrow. In other words, this isn't going to satisfy you. What you're looking for isn't going to satisfy you. And and this crowd is us, because we all have some kind of bread. We have a quote-unquote it that we think, man, if I just get that, I'm going to be good. That's going to satisfy me. And the things we look for often do, but only for a little bit. And just like with real bread, we're hungry again tomorrow. And just like in this crowd, many of us come to Jesus asking him to give us the thing that we really think will satisfy us. And more on that in a minute. But as we talk about bread, it's not really about bread, is it? It's about satisfaction. And as we experience this hunger that exists in every human heart for satisfaction in life, we all develop a strategy. As I studied for this sermon, I came across a Tim Keller Uh, talk on uncovering satisfaction. In that talk, he mentioned six strategies that we all land on in our search to be satisfied. And, you know, maybe there's more. If you think of one that I didn't mention, put that in the comment section. I'm interested to hear what your thoughts are on that. Uh, But these are the ones Tim mentioned, and I really resonated with them personally. He says the first strategy that we all begin with is called the naive strategy. And the naive strategy says, I just don't have what will satisfy me yet. That it is out there somewhere, um, but when, and once I get it, then I will have what I want. You know, once I get that relationship, then I'll be satisfied. Once I get that body or that physique I'm looking for, once I lose that weight, then, you know, then I'll be satisfied. Once I get into the college I want, or these tests are over, once I start to make a little bit more money, or once I get that thing, or when something happens to me, once someone falls in love with me, You know, not just what I do, but with me. Then, then I'll be satisfied. Once things finally start going my way and my luck turns around, once I finally get that big break, then, then I'm satisfied. And all of us begin life with this naive strategy, but we often have a life crisis when we get some of those initial things we were after. We get the college degree. We get the marriage. We get the relationship. We get the first house. We have our first kid. Fill in the blank, whatever it is. We make over $100,000. And one of our goals is checked off. And then we are kind of horribly, inescapably still ourselves. And we are empty. And it leads us to this life crisis that often leads us to a second strategy that Tim calls the driven strategy. And the driven strategy says, I got what I wanted, but it didn't work. I know what's wrong. It's not that it didn't work. It's I got the wrong thing. I don't just need a spouse, I need a different spouse. Oh, it's not the house, I just need a different house. I just got the wrong house, that's what it was. Oh, it's not that the job can't satisfy me, I just have the wrong job. 
It's not that my body, then the physique and the weight, it's not that that didn't satisfy me. It's that I just picked the wrong one. I just think I had the wrong goal. So we think, ah, I know the problem. It's not that these things don't satisfy, it's that I got the wrong one. And many people live their life on this driven strategy, going from marriage to marriage to marriage to house to house to house to thing to thing to thing. All the while, it just never keeps working. For some of us who are hurt really early on and, and have uh, some real deep trauma and wounding in our past, we often develop uh, two other strategies. One of them is called the angry strategy, as Tim puts it. And the angry strategy says the reason I can't find satisfaction is because of them. It's because that business partner who betrayed me. It's because of that, that parent that neglected or abused me. It's because of that boss that made my life hell. It's because of that, that ex who broke my heart. It's because of the person I trusted betrayed me. It's because of, it's because of, and if only I can get them to see it, if only I can change them, if only I can have some revenge, if only I can keep someone else from experiencing this, then, then I'll be satisfied. Then I can be free and I can find satisfaction. And the angry strategy's response to the it of satisfaction is to think that if I hate or resent or blame someone else and I can change that, then, now we're talking about satisfaction. But there's a whole other group of people that don't default to the anger strategy. We default to the despair strategy. And the despair strategy happens when instead of blaming someone else for our lack of satisfaction, we blame ourselves. And, and we think, man, the reason I haven't been able to get satisfaction isn't because someone out there is messed up. It's because I'm messed up in here. And it's not something out there that's broken. It's me that's broken. It's not something out there that's not working. It's it's, it's me that's not working. I'm the problem. And so instead of hating or resenting or blaming other people and trying to fix and change them, we hate or resent or blame ourselves and try to change and fix ourselves. Other people move to the altruism strategy. And the altruism strategy thinks, okay, well, I can't find that it of satisfaction out there in acquiring things. Ah, I get it. It's not about requiring things. It's about giving to people. It's about giving to others. So in the altruism strategy, we lose ourselves in service of others, but we very quickly realize that the needs and demands of people far, 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 far surpass anything that we have to give. And it often lands us burnt out. I know many social workers who have found themselves in this place of, oh my gosh, I thought I was gonna find all this meaning and purpose and hope in helping these people turn their lives around, but they can't give me what they don't have and I've been giving them everything I have and, and I can't do it anymore. I have a lot of compassion for that. The altruism strategy often leads us to resent the very people we try to help. And then the final two strategies that Tim talks about are the cynical strategy and the detached strategy. The cynical strategy says, well, when I was young and a kid, you know, I believed that it was out there somewhere. But now that I've grown up, I've stopped chasing fantasies and rainbows, and I just deal with the hard facts of life. And guess what? No one's satisfied, ever. Life is hard, you work hard, and then you die, and you make the best of it. That's what life is. And, and the major problem with the cynical strategy is that when we harden our hearts to this longing for meaning, this longing for fulfillment, this longing for hope, 
Um, we harden our hearts to the things that are innately born in every human being, and it ends up dehumanizing us, and then we end up dehumanizing other people in our cynicism. The detached strategy is very similar. Stoicism and Buddhism have their own forms of this. This strategy says that getting attached to things in the world is what most pain and suffering comes from. So rather than looking for satisfaction or fulfillment and trying to attach myself to things, right, whether that's you know time or money or life, you know, those are never going to satisfy me anyway, so I just need to simply stop caring about those things. And I need to detach myself from the world and try to find some satisfaction in the fact that those things can't hurt me anymore because I'm detached from them. But I would argue that this is simply the cynical strategy without the pride and the bitterness. It's a strategy that doesn't just detach us from the world or worldly things, it detaches us from our own human experience, our own humanity, and ultimately our fellow human beings. And C.S. Lewis has a great critique to these strategies, to the last two here. He simply says, A duckling wants to swim, and there's such a thing as water. A baby wants to suck, because there's such a thing as milk. And if I find myself in a, a, a longing which this world cannot meet, then it probably means I was made for another world. So as, as we look at those six strategies, as we try to find satisfaction, which of them resonate most with you? Which one makes you go like, oh, that hurts a little bit? And as we talk a little bit more about bread, I want you to be asking yourself the question, what's my bread? What's the thing I keep looking for that I go, man, if only that would change, then my life would be so much better. So like I said last week, Jesus' I am statements are not just uh, anecdotes, they are, they are answers. And so today, the question is what really satisfies and how does Jesus really satisfy when he says, I'm the bread of life? So we're going to continue looking at our scripture here. Verse 27 says this, as Jesus gets this request for bread and then his response to them is this, do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the son of man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, well, what must we do to do the work that God requires? And Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one that he has sent. That, that line right there, that's the core of everything we're going to talk about today. That's the turning point. So keep that in your mind. We're going to come back to it in a couple minutes. We're going to continue with the scripture. So they asked him, well, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you. What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Okay, so let's take apart what's happening here. So the people come to Jesus and they're looking for bread. They're looking for this satisfaction. And Jesus just kind of puts his finger right on it and says, listen, you're looking for something that will satisfy you today and leave you hungry tomorrow. Don't do that. Look for something that really ultimately satisfies. And their response to Jesus is so clever. It's so me, man. It is just so us. They try to redirect Jesus as Jesus is trying to redirect them. He's trying to show them that they're focused on the wrong thing. And, and they're asking for this temporary fix that will end up leaving them hungry over and over and over again. And so Jesus is trying to direct, redirect this superficial solution to a deeper one. And their response is so funny and manipulative. They say to Jesus, 
Oh, okay, you say you're from God, you say you want to meet this deeper need. Okay, I got an idea. Prove it. You know, you may be familiar with that prophets do miracles, right? So what miracle are you going to do? Oh, I have a great idea, Jesus. You may have heard of this one. So Moses, he ended up praying that bread would come down every single day in the wilderness. And guess what? It did. If you give us bread from heaven every day, then we'll know you're telling the truth. How about that for a deal? <laughs> Do you see what they just did there? They have their minds so fixed on what they want out of Jesus that they just quoted scripture to him to try to get him to do what they want. And before we get too critical or manipulative of our friends here, I mean, this is me, right? This is you. This is us. Like, imagine being in this moment with them. They just spent most of their time, they spend most of the time in their lives trying to survive. And they just spent most of this day trying to find Jesus because they need to eat today. They are in survival mode as people, physically, mentally, emotionally, etc. They're here again because they didn't know where they were going to eat today and they thought, Jesus is going to be our best shot. Jesus, he fed us yesterday, I bet he would feed us again. And, and so they go to find Jesus. <clears throat> And um, they're standing here before Jesus, uh, and, and I just want to say, they had a need and they ran to Jesus. That's good for something. Even though they're being manipulative, they have this, this core here that isn't wrong. But they're standing here before Jesus, asking him, like, are you going to give us bread every day just like yesterday, please? And I bet they were thinking things like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. If I didn't have to try to figure out what I was going to eat every day, and, and God just provided, that would solve almost all of my problems. Oh my, Lord, if, if you met this need, I don't think I'd need anything else from you again. I mean, this would finally get me out of that cycle that I've been in for so long, and maybe I could finally get ahead. Do any of those things sound familiar? I know they do to me. This crowd is us. Most of us, like this crowd, feel like we're in survival mode. Week after week and year after year, most weeks of the year, we're constantly trying to manage this gap between our resources and the demands that we feel like have been thrust upon us. And most weeks, that gap is not a small one. And most of us feel like we are going week to week, mentally, emotionally, physically, spiritually. And most of us come to Jesus in prayer, asking for some kind of daily bread going, Lord, if you just gave me this, right? If you, just, if you would just answer this prayer, man, that would really change things for me. <clears throat> But Jesus doesn't give them what they're asking for. Instead, he says this. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and you still do not believe. All those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. At this, the Jews there began to grumble about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is this not the Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I came down from heaven? So Jesus is trying to help this crowd make a connection. He's trying to help us make today. They want the thing that will satisfy them right now, but leave them hungry tomorrow. 
and we all do this. In our lives, we come across the stresses, the difficulties, the challenges of work life, and as we deal with our own traumas, our own insecurities, our own past, our own brokenness, our own internal messages, we latch on to these short-term solutions that we go, man, that would, if that would really satisfy me. But they don't. And Jesus calls himself the bread of life, not because he's saying he's actually physically bread. He's illustrating that the temporary satisfaction they are getting from and looking for in bread is really a window. It's a preview. It's an appetizer. It's an inkling to true, real, deep, ultimate soul satisfaction. A life and life to the full satisfaction that God designed them for. And Jesus is saying that the thing God designed to give us to ultimately satisfy that need for satisfaction in our souls is a relationship with the Father through the body and blood of the Son, Jesus. But at this point, it's become clear that Jesus isn't going to give them the bread. Instead, he wants to give them something that he wants them to have, not the something that they want him to give. And the crowd, just like me, does not like this. (laughs) They start to grumble against Jesus. Who do you think you are? And Jesus goes on. Very truly I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, but they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your your ancestors ate manna and died. But whoever feeds on the bread of life will live forever. He said this while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, This is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, Does this offend you? Then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? It's suggesting how offensive will that be? From this time on, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. So the people came looking for bread. Jesus tries to give them something deeper than the bread they're looking for. And he begins to start talking about this very troubling theology and sounds very disconcerting and makes some claims about being God's son and then something about cannibalism cannibalism gets thrown in there and most of the crowd has given all this time and energy to come find Jesus. And they've been trying to follow him and look for him. And then the ones who were shouting the day before make him king end up leaving. Why do they leave? Well, this is when we move from the bread to the mystery. 
I think there are two reasons that really revolve kind of around one reason why they leave. The first reason I think they leave is because Jesus just won't give them the bread. And I think this is a normal and natural test in the life of every follower of Jesus. When I'm looking at that thing going like, Lord, do you realize how much my life would change if I could just have? If I had just had that job, Lord, and we were able to make 200 more bucks a month. Lord, if I just didn't have the student loans. Lord, if my credit card debt was eliminated and paid off, I know you can do it. Lord, if I just had the family I long for. Father, if I just had the marriage or relationship that I, I know you have for me. Lord, Lord, if I just had the accolade or the promotion or the pay raise or the, the house fill in the blank. If I just had it, my life would be so much better. And I can't believe that you would withhold that from me. What kind of God are you? So if you won't give me that, then I won't give me, I won't give you me. Do you find yourself in that conversation with Jesus this morning? This is a normal, natural conversation. I remember many times in my life I have come to that point and go, man, what do I do now? Do I leave or do I stay? Because you are not going to give me what I'm asking for. But of course, you know, leaving is a poor strategy. The crowd came unsatisfied and now they're leaving more unsatisfied. And they didn't get the satisfaction Jesus was offering them. Because he is trying to offer them what they need more than what they asked for. I think the second reason the disciples leave is they just don't understand. And rightfully so. I mean, I, as I was reading that passage, I'm sure some of you were going like, huh, this is weird. <laughs> it's a strange thing to say. I mean, we know post Good Friday that when Jesus is talking about his body and his blood, he's referring to, he's not referring to cannibalism at all. He's referring to communion. And he's referring to the salvation he's going to pay for on the cross with his life. But this conversation they're having right now could have been as early as two and a half years before that. Right? So th this is way out of their purview. And I, I can find myself getting a little like kind of maddeningly frustrated at Jesus as he goes on because... I mean, doesn't he know when you're speaking to a group you want to win people over and to your point of view? And doesn't he know that when you're teaching you want to make things simpler, not more complex? And doesn't he know how confused they'd be? Doesn't he know this can't be helpful to them? But Jesus makes no attempts to clarify. And things get more and more bizarre. Because here's the deal. Jesus is God. And God is mysterious. He's infinite. And he's not just infinite in time or longevity. He's infinite in content. No matter how much I know about God, there's always more I don't know. And the only reason we know as much as we do is because he has revealed himself. He's told us who he is through his word and through his son. And without those things, we couldn't possibly know. God is a mystery. And the difference between the disciples who stayed and the ones who left was their willingness to be okay with not understanding. Because, I mean, with the disciples who stayed, the twelve, I mean, do you think they understood the day before when Jesus literally made like 30,000 pieces of food out of seven? No way. Do you think they understood when the sickness left people and demons fled at Jesus' name? Do you think they understood when the night before they'd seen Jesus standing on water and calming waves? Of course not. I think, if anything, they've never understood less about life since they started following Jesus. Because he is so beyond their understanding. 
And they do not understand Jesus, I don't think at all yet, but they are satisfied in him. And remember what I said is the crux of this whole passage. It's that the work of God is this, to believe in the one that he has sent. I heard a story this week uh, that was really powerful to me. There was a father who had a three-year-old son, and the three-year-old son had um, to do two surgeries, really intense, painful surgeries. And uh, the, the, this priest was telling a story of he went to visit the father in the hospital in between surgeries. And he's, he's sitting with the father in the waiting room. The surgeon comes out and says, hey, the first surgery's done. Would you like to see your son? And the father says, oh, please, I would really like to see my son. And so the priest and the father are allowed to walk into um, not the operating room, but the recovery room. And the priest said, when we entered the room, I saw the three-year-old boy look at his father. And his eyes just said, how could you do this to me? Do you have any idea how painful that was? Do you have any idea how scared I am? Do you have any, they're going to do it to me again and you're going to let them. How could you not protect me from this? Why would you do this to me? And then the priest looked at the father and he saw the father's eyes looking at his three-year-old son filled with compassion for his pain and yet filled with a love that said, I can't even begin to help you understand right now how this is so for your own good. And how the rest of your life is going to be blessed because of this. And I'm so sorry you have to go through this pain. But I'm not doing this to hurt you. I'm doing this because I love you with all my heart. And I love you so much. I'm willing to do the loving thing to you. Even when that means you don't like me for it. Because this is good for your whole life. And the priest just thought, wow. Isn't that a picture of us and the Father? There is so much we just don't understand. And that the, the, the choice of the three-year-old son and our choice today is, do I trust that even in this pain that I go, how could you do this to me? That God really is who he says he is. Do I believe in the one that he has sent that he loves me? We're all looking for bread, friends. We're all looking for satisfaction in this life. And Jesus says that he is what will ultimately satisfy us and ultimately give us a life and life to the full, both in this life and the next. However, so much of God and his ways remain a mystery to us. And this dissonance presents us with two choices. We can leave and still be unsatisfied, or we can choose to believe in the one whom God has sent and stay with Jesus in the confusion and the pain and the mystery and allow him to give us life and life to the full. So where do you find yourself this morning? Is there a bread you're asking God for, waiting on, searching for? I would encourage you to surrender. I know I have my, uh, many breads. <laughs> I have many, many breads that I go, Lord, if you would just, if you could just, if, please. And uh, God is asking me to surrender those today. And he's asking you to surrender those today. Because we need to trust that Jesus sees exactly what we want. And he sees exactly what we need. And he's working to ultimately satisfy us. And the why behind that waiting is always mysterious. And my encouragement to you this morning is simply to trust. Trust that God sees you. Just like the father and his three-year-old son in the surgery, trust that he is working for your good and that the pain and the discomfort that you are feeling uh, is not a sign of his absence or anger, but it's actually an evidence of his love we just don't understand yet. And finally, the work of God is this to believe in the one that he has sent. Jesus says that it is through this work that we find that he is the bread of life that truly satisfies. 
So this morning, if you're listening and you have been searching your whole life for something that satisfies and you keep coming up empty, I want you to know Jesus is what you've been looking for. And if you've never started a relationship with him, followed him as Lord of your life, I want to invite you to do that. And if you're already a follower of Jesus this morning and you are just going, oh my gosh, I've got some loaves of bread that I keep asking Jesus for. I just want to invite you as we pray together to surrender those to the Lord and trust him to do this in his way and his timing. And we're going to take communion here in a few moments. And I want to encourage you as we do that, as you're a follower of Jesus and you receive that bread and cup, just remember, we are what we eat. And we want to become like Christ because he is what truly satisfies. So would you pray with me? Father, I have searched the world for the things that will satisfy my heart. And Lord, I have found that nothing truly satisfies. But Lord, you tell me you satisfy. And I believe you. And I want to believe you more than I do right now. And so, Lord, I just surrender the things I'm asking for to you. I surrender my life to you. I surrender my sins to you. I surrender my world to you. I ask, Lord, that you would give me that bread of life that truly satisfies. And, Father, I just ask that you would help me to be patient in the process, to be non-anxious and trust, Lord, that you are not just withholding things from me. You are satisfying me at a level I have yet to understand. And we are just in the process. So Lord, I surrender to you. And I just acknowledge there will always be things I don't understand about you. And that's okay. Because you love me. And you do satisfy. In the name of Jesus. Amen. If you prayed with me, to make a commitment to follow Jesus for the first time today or a recommitment, I really want you to message us or reach out to us via our digital bulletin because you are not in this alone and we want to walk with you as you follow this bread of life. God bless. First Corinthians says this, The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it, in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So I just want to invite you now <clears throat> to receive Christ's body broken for you on the cross. Take and eat. And I invite you to take the cup. And as you drink it, receive that fresh forgiveness that God has forgiven your sins. Not as an end in itself, but as a means to intimate communion with the maker of your soul. <clears throat>